hey, welcome to this week's edition of First Date Copites Podcast. Uh, this, as you will know if you're a regular listener, is a podcast for uh, Liverpool fans in Delaware and those connected with Liverpool and Delaware in whatever way that is. Welcome to Daz. It's from Baltimore. Um, who, who a lot of connections with us. Uh, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube or wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts. Um, uh, this week, we're joined, obviously, by Daz. Uh, we're also joined, joined again by Enrique. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Um, uh, usually, when Enrique is on episodes, we get a lot more views. So, um, hopefully, that will be the case this time. <laughs> he doesn't check <laughs> I might see two thirds of my time doing Enrique and just let him actually talk some sense instead of the wham that comes out of my face. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, the, 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 there have been plenty of insights you've had along the way, Daz. So I, I think you're um, doing yourself a disservice. But yes, so let's get on to it. This week, um, I guess we're, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about the Newcastle game. Um, Liverpool drew 1-1 with Newcastle yesterday. So today's April 25th, 2021. Um, it was a 1-1 draw. And, well, we'll get to this, but it may have been the most frustrating game of the season, you know, given everything that's gone on. Maybe. <laughs> um, it, it's it's the first one which where I, I, I literally kind of had my head in the pillow um, or a cushion on our sofa just at the end of the game. Unbelievable. Couldn't, yeah. And then we'll talk some more about, as we did last week, about the uh, European Super League. And, and, and personally, I'm still struggling with the hostility towards it. So let's want to explore, um, you know, I don't, so that's not saying what a great idea, but it seems like a lot of agendas have been pulled out this week um, in the name of complaining about the European Super League, which seems to me a little wider than the, than the, the topic itself. So we'll, we'll get to that. We're going to start, though, um, by yesterday's 1-1 draw. Um, Newcastle scoring with literally the last kick of the match um, uh, after we had, uh, I, I don't know, I mean, I'll, I'll start with you, Sean, actually, because I, I don't know if you've, you've looked but I did actually go look at XG yesterday. If he's looked. <laughs> What's that? If he's looked, he says. Uh, he's got a tattoo on the inside of his forearm. He might have been busy. He looked. He looked. <laughs> I, looked I, I looked at it less closely, honestly, than I normally would. Well, it took me a while to go look at XG. It, I, I couldn't. Yeah, I tried to take my mind off the game for the 12 hours afterwards. Um, but how frustrating was that? Um, and a bit of XG in there too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it seemed like we could have scored five goals in the first half. It was pretty frustrating. Uh, and then I thought, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, with, I'm kind of with Daz. Like, I'm kind of just so over this season. It, it was frustrating and I was upset, but I was not nearly as upset as I normally would be because – I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of over it this season. I, I have some hope left that we'll, we'll get top four, but not, not a lot. And um, yeah, kind of just, I mean, you said it yesterday in our chat, Paul, I just, I just kind of want it to be over yeah. at this point. Like it's, it's just, and dad sent the, that uh, little meme around. Um, and I, <laughs> yeah, like, with, with, like the team's like body slamming us after we're already down. I kind of feel like it's like we, you know, if the season's like a match and you're the supporter, we've been sort of beat and, and tapped out. And yesterday's match was like someone just kind of turning around and give you an extra little kick in the nuts, like just, just, just for one more, you know, um, it's really, it, you know, 
there's just there's a lot um, of kind of negative things to say. I, I thought Klopp's management wasn't great again, which again I I hate to criticize him because I think he's the best manager in the world. But we're just so far off. I mean, the, the team is just. You said it a month or two ago, Daz. Like the rot has just set in. Has just set in. It's been there for a while, and even when we get some momentum, it's like we just can't pull ourselves out of it. Um, and uh, I, I felt like we got too negative in the second half in terms of the tactics. I felt like we really needed a second goal. I felt like that the whole game. I thought we were going to need two goals. And yeah, the goal came in the last minute, but I don't know. I kind of felt like kind of felt like for the last. 25, 30 minutes that it was just coming, you know, we were, we were inviting the pressure onto us. And I just don't think that we're at our best playing like that, especially when, when Virgil and our best defenders aren't in the team. So it was, it was just frustrating all around. And um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was not a, not a fun match to watch. I was happy that it ended early in the day and I got to go out with my family and do some fun things and enjoy the day after the match. And, and, you know, was able to get over it pretty quick. But well, yeah, you're doing better than me because I was still struggling today. Uh, like I, I, this morning, I went to turn TV on uh, to watch watch football because, like, oh, Leeds, they're interesting to watch. And you know? I'm like, yeah, I don't need to do this to myself. And so, to, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Just when you give you a bit of hope, then the way it goes. But I, mean, I actually thought we played pretty well for a long period yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, does you. Um, messaged at one point it was in the first half you said this has one one written all over it and that was I think after a succession of misses right so um, so I, I, I'll, I'll go to you our finishing is just awful that's five tips above where it is yeah it's 54 shots in two games and we got two goals uh, that's the thing was Brundish that put that up on his on his tweet deck yeah um I know that I floated this out about Salah's inability to finish one-on-ones and I, I, I'm an old Liverpool fan and I, I've, I've lived through quite a few of those early aught seasons and, and subsequent ones under Hodgson where you kind of get to the point where you're just like, you, you get numb to the, to the fact that this, you just slide not very quickly back into that, like, oh, here we go again kind of mentality and you could just see it coming. Um, Salah is like his finish was sublime. Like that, he hit it on the half volley. Like Dubrov, uh, what, what's his name? Dubrov, Dubrovne, Dubrovka. Dubrovka, yeah. Close enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> Son of a bitch that saved every bloody thing. Um, he uh, he didn't have a chance. Uh, but then the one that was over the top, like he, he just has to, uh, he just has to push it, nose it past him, or go around him, and he puts it right into his chest. And then you look at Mane, you're like. <sighs> He had his head in his hands and he's just, he's a man bereft of anything resembling confidence. Like he's second guessing everything that he does. You can still see that the gears are running, but it doesn't seem like there's anyone in charge of how they're running. And if anyone needs a break, it's him. And I think that's one of the things we had on your agenda, Paul. It's like him, Robbo, they just look jaded. They don't look, there's no, there's no joie de vivre left. And fair play to them. Like you're watching people go down around you like flies. You see performance after performance that you're putting in in the back and, and they're letting you down up front. What, what, what's most perturbing to me is like we're letting teams that aren't, aren't anywhere near our league look like Brazil. Like the last 10 minutes of that game, we, like to Sean's point, we just, we kind of went inwards again. And it's, and you could see that self-fulfilling prophecy kicking in. It's like, oh, 
here we go again. And then you allow it to happen again, instead of shaking or shaking, taking it by the scruff of the neck and shaking it. I think that Curtis Jones might've been the wrong move. Um, I get a sense that the Tiago on 70 was pre was preordained. Yeah. Um, I wonder if he's one of those guys that's considered to be in the red by the sports scientists and, and, and so he tugged him, but in a, in a tight game like that, where you know you're scrapping for the points and you know that you're going to be under the cosh in the last five minutes because everybody that plays us knows, you know, regardless of where we play, that the last five minutes, we're porous. We're soft. We, we're, we're, prone, we're prone to just wellying the ball into corners to try and get rid of it. And so they just, they just bide their time. And I think that Curtis Jones coming back from a, what's it, two, three weeks he's been out now? Yeah. I'm not sure that that was the best move. And I said that when it happened, I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't like the, the smell of this. If anything, it should have been Genie. I think that Genie, I love Genie Wijnaldum. I think that he's, he's been instrumental to our success as a team in the, the last course of, the, course of the last two years. However, as a six, he generally tends to, for me at least, and, and I'm happy to be, to be shouted down. He kind of disappears in games. He becomes a little bit anonymous. And you saw portions of the game yesterday when he dropped, when we dropped from, because we stopped playing the 4-2-3-1, which I thought was a big mistake as well. Because everything that we generated was part was through that four two three one, and it was almost like a panic a panic move going back to the four three three, and it's I think it invited pressure on us. I think Milner struggled to get to speed with the game too. Um, there's so many negatives, but on the, on the positive side of things, once again, the first twenty minutes we were lights out. If we had to put two of those away, we would have cruised. Uh, but I think you can say that for probably 60%, 60-65% of the games this year, that's that's pretty much what it, where it's at. I think that we're one clinical striker away from from being unstoppable again next year. And I said that to Hytham and I checked. Well, I might we'll check with him. I was like, I think that we'll be lights out again next year. But it's going to be, it'll require uh, reconfiguring his deck a little bit, getting some of the better players, or his more trustworthy players back in and kind of shuffling shuffling his hand a little bit bring he definitely needs fresh blood he needs he need and i know that um the Mourinho talked about that having to change change uh change formations um so alex ferguson would do it too like he it didn't matter how big you thought you were if you know thought it was time for you to go he'd ship you and just just to just to, just to freshen things up and we definitely need a refresher and some of these guys are straight off to go and play in the in the, in the uh, european cup here or whatever they're calling it nowadays um well, so, not to mention Copa America is happening as well. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these guys are straight back into the fray. Like Andy Robertson's got his team's like hopes and dreams up on his shoulders. And he just, he looks like he needs a couple of weeks off on a beach somewhere with SBF 500 because you know how pale he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess the likelihood is they're not going to make it through the group stages of whatever that tournament is. So um, sorry, Alistair, if you're listening, my Scottish friend. Um, but. So I'd push back slightly on the, uh, the criticism of, of anyone who wasn't in the, the front, uh, like the front three who had the chances, because quite honestly, none of that would have mattered had they put away um, the, the, the chances that were created. And the worrying thing for me, I mentioned this last week and I got a bit of pushback, which was, you know, my, my concern is that, and hopefully this is just tiredness on Jota's part, but he now looks like the player we might have expected to have signed from Wolves with the record that he had at Wolves. Um, again, uh, he's, he's young, and but but he, the, the shot he shinned yesterday, uh, you know, like three months ago, he was scoring that. Yeah. 
So. Yeah, two that might have come on if off his shin, right? Because he had the one left foot volley, didn't yep. hit it right, and then there was the one he it might have gone off his right shin, and you know, I think on another day that goes in. But yeah, I, I think I've crossed the whole front four that they're all guilty of, you know, poor finishing. Yeah, and and so it'll go to you next, Enrique. But but uh, Sean didn't share the XG with us, so I will do that. Um, I think That's Liverpool good. were two <laughs> I was going to wait. There's a couple other stats I wanted to share. Oh, okay. XG. Well, okay. We'll go to them, but uh, and Newcastle were 0.85, so so three one would not have been out of whack with the chances and the quality of the chances we created. Um, yeah, uh, so I, you know you can pick up on this, Enrique, or kind of just sort of uh, go on about the things that that you notice. But it, it does strike me that there's a pattern now where the, the subs seem to now be having a negative impact on how we play, um, which I think has been a story for the last three or four games now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's weird too. Cause I feel like it was, you know, just the beginning of this season where I was even looking at our squad and I was thinking we have a squad that feared to compete with city. Um, you know, I mean, at that point, obviously we had all our center backs, but you're looking at, you know, Mino Mino now had half a year with the team. You're expecting this could be the breakout season for Keita, uh, Shakiri, you know, it's being integrated more and more. So I was confident of our depth coming into the season, but, you know, here we are with six games to go. Um, and it just, our bench just doesn't fill me with hope anymore. And I'm in a position where I never thought I'd be saying, but, you know, I missed Nat Phillips this game primarily because it would have put Fabinho back in the midfield. But it's, I mean, there's so, there's so many things wrong with this team right now. Uh, certainly the finishing is the one I think is the easiest to highlight and talk about because we did have enough opportunities just in the first half to beat three or four goals up, um, whether it's two chances that Jota shinned or, you know, the, I know you brought up, what is it, 54 shots, uh, Sean, that you said in the last two games, but what about all the shots we're not taking, right? Mane was put clean through by Salah in that first half, and he's instead of just hitting it first time anywhere at an yeah. open net, you know, he decides to try to sidestep the keeper, and it's just – it goes back to they're just not making decisions that lead to, you know, high quality shots um, that they're not even taking. And then when we do have the positions of uh, high quality shots, we're just not finishing them. Um, you know, after the game, I found myself watching a uh, highlight reel of Fernando Torres. And I was just thinking what Fernando Torres would do with this team right now. I mean, you give him half a chance back in, you know, that 09, 2010 season, he took it. And that's what we need right now. And unfortunately we're not getting that out of Firmino. And on a day where we don't get it out of Salah or Jota, you know, Salah scores. So it's hard to be too harsh on him, but he did have enough opportunities to score another. Um, but yeah, no, I found myself in that game. It was good to, I knew it was going to be a miserable game against uh, Steve Bruce side, but getting the goal early gave me a little false hope. I'll tell you by the, by the time the second half started, I just had this gut feeling. I was very pessimistic that this was going to be, you know, leaps all over again was that we were going to get punished for not scoring that second. And I, it was hard for me to watch that second half uh, and enjoy it at, at all because it was just – I just you, you can almost feel it coming. And I, and I think it's uh, it's long been – you know, long past the days where I remember we used to be able to sit comfortably and drink our beers at Rooney's, sitting on one-nil leads uh, – or, yeah, on one-nil lead and uh, just be like, okay, this team will be able to see it out. And I think we're back to, uh, you know, we're up by a goal and we're not comfortable at all anymore. Yeah. And – and, and, and it is one of those things, too, where I think because of how late Newcastle scored, similar to how late Leeds scored, it's uh, 
they're able to you know run away with a point because I think if Newcastle scores that goal with you know 20 15 20 minutes left to go I, w- I would think we'd be able to turn up the tempo and get that second goal but for whatever reason we're not doing that at just one nil and we just don't have the solidity in that back line to protect the one goal lead anymore so it, it was a tough watch um you know, I went back to sleep. I told Paul I went back to sleep after that game. <laughs> I just didn't want to deal with the day after that. I mean, I was so disappointed. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, it, it's hard to be upbeat now, but we, we just keep making it difficult for ourselves. So I think the other – the games that were going around us as well didn't help because we knew that if we got the result, no matter what, we'd be leapfrogging over one of Chelsea or West Ham. So it was an opportunity lost right there. And we just – Obviously, the table's still tight. A lot can happen, but I mean, we are really making this difficult for ourselves. We're not giving ourselves a lot of wiggle room left. And I, I don't think it's crazy to think that we need five wins in our next six um, to see this through to have any shot of it. But yeah. it'd be nice if they gave us an extra game, but I think we only have five left. Five. Okay. Well, then <laughs> four was that? Five. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I, know, I hope we have six games. But. Okay. So, well, so now Phillips will be back next week. It'll all be fine. It's just, uh... I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, so it's funny, right? It is interesting that, uh, that he's missed two games and we've conceded goals. And, and uh, I think apart from the real away match, I don't think we conceded a goal for like a couple of months with him and Kabak at uh, centre-back. Yep. Wow. So I'm going to do one more quick round on, on, the, on this game. Um, uh, Cause I know Sean has some stats for us, but um just in terms of, I mean, it's easy to pick on the players who need a rest, but is is, is anyone's star rising at this point? Um, I kind of thought there were, were a couple of things worth worth, worth calling out, um, but I, I I will prejudge your comments. Um, I'll, I'll I'll kind of weave those into whatever else you're sharing. So um, feel free to share your stats, Sean. But uh, whose star is rising? Is anyone you know that we're kind of he's back? He's good. He's making a contribution. Uh, yeah, I'll get to that. So, because you asked the the xG for the match was for info from info goal, uh, two point eight nine for us, and they theirs was one point oh seven, but almost half of theirs came in that last chance that Kellen Wilson had. It was that one was about five. So, you know, before the ninetieth minute, it's like two point eight nine to zero point five in terms of in terms of chances. Um, no, but the, the other the other side I wanted to share was, was something that, that Simon Brunner shared I thought was really interesting. You mentioned that, and I agree with you, Dad. the last few games, it does seem like Moe's missed some chances. It seems like he should have made, but he's really carried us. I mean, without Mo this year, I knows where we'd be. We'd probably be like 10th or mid-table someplace. Um, but his shot conversion, I think he's saying in his career, is 18%. His shot conversion over the last few games is 42% of the shots he has on target in the last 19 games. This season overall, for all matches, I guess, he's converting 21%. Mane's at 10% and Bobby's at 7%. So I think last year Bobby was at like 9%. So it's really not much different, but we know Bobby wasn't great last year. Mane's just falling off a cliff. I mean, like I think he was over 20% last year and has been consistently. And like you said, Daz, like, I, I watched that. I, I couldn't believe Mane missed that chance, even in the form he's in. And I went and looked at, watched it back, and it's like last year, you know, he would have just been right on it and put his foot right through it, you know, and, and just pounded it. And you know, sometimes maybe it wouldn't have gone in, but it's better than than what we got out of it. Um, 
in terms of star rising, I th- I'm happy to see. I, th- I think Allison's back. He's had a couple of really good games, and that's great to see because his form had been off for a little bit, understandably, with passing of his father and all. Um, you know, I, I think Quebec had another good game. I think I think you could argue he should have been he should have been tighter on Willock for the goal, but that's I mean I, I don't know. I think it's a little bit hard um, because we lost the header and it just drops right to him. But I think on I think on the whole, if you're looking at our our defensive four, I think he was probably the best defender in the game overall yesterday. I think I think we've missed Fab in the midfield, but I think it's also I don't think he's adjusted quickly the last two games to like the new partnership with Quebec and being center back. I mean, he hasn't been bad, but it's just Quebec had been and Phillips had kind of been developing this, this partnership that started to work really well, especially with Fab right in front of him. And so then you disrupt that. And I, I think that's kind of led to a few of the chances we've given away the last couple of games. But um, yeah, I mean, those would be, those would be two. And, and with Jota, I would say like, there was no way he was going to continue at the pace that, that he started at. He was scoring at, at a better rate than, you know, most solids, almost like messy levels. So that was never going to continue. But, um, you know, he has fallen off a little bit. And um, I'm still I'm still confident that he'll be a very good player for us moving forward. But he's he's not continued at the rate that he was. Uh, but I don't think we should have expected him to. So. Oh, uh, Paul, you're on mute. I don't. The reason for, for like doing this is not to like uh, I think call people out because I do think that the season's been awful in terms of how condensed it's been and yeah. like all the things that have gone wrong. But it's more, you know, I, th- I do think there are some bright spots, and I think that's what I really um, and and I, I would absolutely agree about uh, Alisson. I think he has been um, really good in these last two games. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't too bad against Real Madrid and the second like either with the chances that came through so which which is is, is really good to see that uh, that it, that was probably more to do with everything that was going on in his life than it was with his his form um, he 100% saves that shot if it's not deflected too from Willock 100% yeah. saves yeah. that if it doesn't get deflected yeah. yeah that was I mean we had just gotten lucky with the uh, Kevin Wilson chance with the VA heart review yeah. but that was a bit of you know Bad luck there for the deflection. Yeah, totally. The the other person does that I, I I think is is quietly sort of starts to impose himself is Tiago. Exactly. I know that exactly. the, the conventional wisdom is that like oh he's like uh, uh, he's come in and has, has struggled to integrate. But I I, I think I, I, there were some signs yesterday. Like if we'd scored all those goals, I'm sure he, his fingerprints would have been on um, the moves that initiated them, if not the final pass. Yeah, I was, I was actually just about to laud him because I know that he's taken quite a bit of stick. Yeah. I think because we were purring last season and then we weren't this season, I think if we had been purring, because you saw him in the Chelsea game when he came on and he put that one over the top, everyone was everyone was, was singing his praises and then we started to stutter a little bit. And I think that he felt that he had to live up to, quote-unquote, his own hype. And I think that like a lot of the challenges that he was throwing in were probably, probably based out of frustration more than anything, because some of them seemed like pretty unprofessional. Like, he's a kind of a, a he's a he's, he seems to want to tackle that way. Uh, it's kind of unwieldy for the lack of a better way of putting it. But yesterday he was I think he was our best player, and I was really surprised to see him come off on seventy. Yeah. Um, but- 
but as you say, that could well have been to do with sports science. I think I think that it was, and you could see they they panned him sitting on the sideline before they scored the equalizer, and you could see that it was not the sign of a man who was kicking back drinking a pina colada. He looked like he was still pretty, <laughs> still pretty chapped. Uh huh. Yeah, there was some passages that. I could say there's some passages yesterday that I thought were just outstanding. I can't, I can't, it was, there was one in the first half where he, he found somebody in the middle of a pack of players and ended up creating a, a, a chance from it. But it, it, it just didn't, it didn't appear to be a pass to be made, and he somehow found it. But again, oh, and that pass, that, that, little, that little dig pass he made to Trent for Trent's attempt was – I mean, that would have been goal of the season if Trent scored be. that. Yeah. Well, that's, again, it's like a, you see him in a four-two-three-one, where he's where he's kind of more central, picking, pulling strings. That that's that's what he, I think that's what we got him for. Yeah. So that's exactly what we anticipated when we would get we were going to get from him when he was signed. And just to a, a larger point, Neil Atkinson said this best last year. Is last year we would squander quite a few chances, like we did. We were, were very profligate, um, and he said it was okay. It's because we knew that another one was coming, and I knew another one was coming. And if it wasn't Salah, it was Mane. If it wasn't Mane, it was Bobby. Someone was stepping into the void to put it away. And now we've lost that. So, and in the, now that we have, we're still having the opportunities, but it seems to only be going to Mo. And he, he missed quite a few of those opportunities a couple of seasons ago too. If so, if, if we're being honest about it, he's like 18, 20%. I, I, Sean, I'm interested to know what the, the average is for strikers. It's probably going to be pretty close to 20, 25%, one in four maybe that, they, that they're likely to put away. I'm not sure about that, but I did see, I, I know he's um, he scored 21 goals on a little bit under 18 XG, which is good. That's, that's very good. He's scoring at a higher rate than the XG would suggest. But so that some of that is like the first goal he scored was very difficult yeah. chance. So he, it's it's weird. He 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 misses some easy chances. He's always kind of been that way. He misses easy chances, but then he scores a ridiculous one. You know, it's just kind of the player he is. But what was it? What was the one where it looked like he was almost on the other end of the end line in a Champions League game? Was that against uh, one of the German teams or the Austrian teams? Wasn't it? Is that away at Salzburg? I think it was. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, yeah. how the hell did that go in? Yeah. Yeah. Defied defied nature, physics. It was, <laughs> it was incredible that that went in, but. It's 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 just I think the frustration is and again like if if to your point uh, Paul if we're if we're scoring if we're scoring like all of this conversation is moot be like oh, it's, oh it's, what are we going to talk about Genie Wijnaldum not like missing a couple of tackles you're like wow that belter was really great like you'd really be nitpicking but when it's not going in you have a tendency to fall back into the negative and I, I know I'm massively guilty of that and I'm just an oral loss I don't know what to tell you. And then to, to expand on that point as well, it's not just that we were confident somebody else would come in and put the ball in the back of the net for them, but there's also that solidity in the back where, we, you know, we can't forget that we went through a long stretch of winning games, just one nil. And we were confident, like, well, all we need to do is, you know, get one. We have Gomez, we have Van Dyke, Allison back there. We're, we're fine. They're not going to score on us. And it, it you know, it, I'm tired of talking about the injuries in, at this point all season long, but it's, it is a real thing, and we had a little bit of a rhythm going with Nat and uh, Kabak, and that gets disrupted again. And um, Fabinho's a great player, but again, like you said, he didn't have that time to – he hasn't had the time to um, get used to playing next to Kabak. And it's not just us. Look at um, look at Manchester City. Recently, they've been changing up their center-back pairings, and what's happened, they've been letting in more goals, right? They had 
uh, Diaz and Stones playing together and they're keeping clean sheets regularly, but now they're incorporating Laporte and more, Ake and more, and you're seeing them leak. Uh, same thing happens with Chelsea a little bit. When they put Zuma into the lineup or when they uh, sub out Rudiger Espelopleta for Christensen, they're, they're letting in more goals. So it's, it's every single team, there's an advantage to having a center-back pairing that plays 90% of the games together. We haven't had a stretch of you know, more than half a dozen games with the same center backs. So we're always going to suffer from, you know, it's going to take one half chance late in the game and, you know, we fall victim to it. Yeah. Well, there's all the old tropes about your defense too. It's like my dad described the two center backs as your mom and the papa of the team. Everything else comes from them. And what was, I think someone told me in American football is offense wins your games, but defense wins your league, wins your championships. Yeah, defense wins championships. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, it, and it's like, it's our spine. It's the spine of the team, right? I mean, you're just screwing with that all the time. Even even dropping Fabinho out of midfield, it, it has a big impact on the game. You know, I've, I've gone on about that. But, um, yeah, and, and one of the center backs we're missing is the is arguably the best player in the world and the best defender in the world. Take any any player like that out of a team, and, and it's just, you're just going to miss so much. And, I don't know, that's why I'm confident about next year. Um, and, I really just want this year to be over. <laughs> well, you well, said the chat is like, and I believe that this is true. Like, we sold a very large portion of this season based on last season sold. Like, I, <laughs> like I mean, we must have done something to, to that the, the, the footballing gods are wanting an exact payment for the from this season. Huh. Well, I want to go back to the uh, Tiago, and you know, he does deserve all the praise. Um, we've been giving him today because he has looked great, but I've actually been thinking for a couple of weeks now, I think next season. You know, knock on wood that we get back to normality, fans back in the stadium, and, uh, you know, or bring our old Liverpool back. But I think Thiago could actually sneak up on the rest of the league. As uh, I, I think this season, every other team is kind of getting used to not having to worry about Thiago as much as they might have um, thought they would have to at the beginning of the season. And even, you know, the fans are selling, like you said, you know, he's been taking a his fair share of abuse from Liverpool fans. But I think next season, I can see a world where, you know, we're back in our groove, we're playing well, and Thiago is just going to, you know, push us over the edge. And it's going to it's gonna feel like the uh, signing, I think we all wanted it to feel uh, like this season. So yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic for... My one concern is his age. Like, yeah. I, I think that we might get one, maybe two good seasons. Actually, I think that's where I'll we got one. him. I'll take one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take, take six two. games. Yeah. The sixth game. <laughs> I mean, but imagine, like, you got to put yourself, like, the way that our team's been this year, put yourself in the shoes of those midfielders. On the one hand, you got Van Dyke and Gomez behind you. And then this year, you got this behind yes. I mean, and it's, it's just like, it's a world of difference. And that's going to have an impact on the midfielders, too. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, you got Bob the turf manager's name on the team sheet for a starting center back in one day. Yeah, right. like, I don't want to be surprised. Be like, hey, hey, Bob, what's up? Go. You mean look over your shoulder the whole game. It's, it's like, you know, and you don't want, especially a player like Thiago, you don't want him doing that. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think that's a good shout, Enrique. And we also have to remember, I mean, at the end of the day, they are human beings. And this is a guy who's moving into a new country and in the middle of a pandemic. And, you know, just give him the year under his belt, getting to know the teammates. You know, we've seen it enough times that sometimes these players take some time to bet in. So They don't even speak English in Liverpool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he also got COVID and nearly had his leg broken right after he started. So that didn't yeah, help yeah. either. Welcome to the league. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so many directions to go in here, but I'm, I'm going to kind of draw a line with this. One, one final thing I would say 
there was, uh, you know, I, I, I clearly Van Dyke missed it. I saw, I saw some somebody's ridiculous tweet about lots of Super League stuff today, but one of the comments I saw was that they were like, well, Van Dyke wasn't that great before he got it injured. We lost at Villa 7-2. Uh, the, the person obviously neglected to mention that Allison wasn't behind him that day, um, which I'm thinking may have had a big impact on that particular result. So, uh, you know, I... I the, I don't know how many games Allison and Van Dyke played together this season. It wasn't enough, um, but I imagine it's a very small number. And I think if they can get, we can have them playing together next season. I think the future looks quite bright. I honestly think the universe was upset that there was so much beauty condensed into one space. <laughs> the balance had to be restored and they had to rip them asunder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. So. What who's doing a deal with the devil? Anyway, talking of deals with the devil, um, the Super League, UEFA. Yes, let's let's move on to talk about that. But before we do, actually, if you are listening and you are in Delaware, um, the last four weekend games that Liverpool play this year will be watchable outside on the street in Delaware Avenue, um, which is probably the most exciting thing we can say about the rest of the season. Um, so please um, come on down. Um, with your masks and whatever else and hopefully your vaccines uh and um we can all commiserate together based on the way the rest of this awful season has uh, has panned out that's great news great yeah news. yeah so, Can't wait. super league we're going to go around a couple of times here uh, maybe we'll mix the order up i find it hard to know where to begin i mean there's so much so many column inches, and I think we, we talked about this last week about wow, wouldn't it be great if this if racism generated this amount of feeling? Uh, I personally am still struggling to come to grips with how angry people are, and in my world, how weird it is that UEFA, Russian oligarchs, um, oil shakes seem to have come out of this like better than our owners for sure. And, uh, and certainly the owners of the, uh, the, most of the people were in the 12. So um, where do we begin? Uh, so I'm at some point I'm gonna to get to like, who's been the most hypocritical during this, but, but let's not start there. Let's just, wh where are you now with the Super League? What's your kind of feeling about where it's got to? And uh, I'm, I'm looking at Daz and he looks primed to uh, unload some uh, wisdom, pearl of wisdom. So I'm going to you. Actually, first off, I want Sean to pick up his super tanker cup back up. It looks like it could block the Suez. Look, put, turn that, turn that is, sideways. Put it to your mouth and water. turn it sideways. I swear to God, it looked like it's something that would block the Suez. Looks like something from Game of Thrones. Right? You could put a couple of handles on the side of it and you got a trophy. Super League trophy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark Delaware Copites. Um, yeah. Well, sorry, European Super League. Uh, I don't know if there's anything left to be to, to take the really cheap way out. I'm not sure there's anything that I can say that hasn't already been etched into stone, put onto pages. It's in glyphs and bytes all over the all over the internet. It's. I think the, the, the hypocrisy is the, is the biggest shout. That's really what got my got in my craw the most. It's like everyone's lauding what Gary Neville had to say. Oh. That prick said nothing today about. It was Leeds versus Greeds when we played them on Monday, but his mob plays them today. Not a fucking word mentioned. Yeah. It's, and it's the same thing as like as your, your major corporations. Like, where are you guys now? It's like, it's, is it just sailed on past because it's been four days and the news cycles moved on? Or is it, 
I just, it gets tiresome talking about how it's like, we seem to be the ones that are uh, under the spotlight, like how we were the, we were the super villains and all of this because we weren't the first one to bow out or like anything that we do is, is, is more, is, is more forensically looked at than, than anybody else. Uh, but and, and to Gary Neville, like you're the same one that's financially doping a lower league team to try and get them higher up. You're exactly. the same one. You didn't say a fucking word about you. You took the money all the way through your career from a breakaway league that did exactly what the ESL was planning on doing. You wanted a bigger piece of that pie to make yourself more successful and quote unquote guarantee more more income. Like, come on, like. It's you. You can't speak out of both sides of your mouth on, on on any of this. And like, who really loses the most? You think that that Sky Sports is going to say, "Oh, you know what? That's right. Maybe we should maybe let, let's lower our prices to watch matches." These are the same bunch of pricks that wanted to charge fourteen ninety nine for West Brom versus Burnley in the middle of a pandemic. Like, sorry, like get, climb back off that horse. Like, is any of this going to change anything? And, and and I think Bonzi said it best. He's like, "You think the fans yeah. won here? They haven't won shit." It's yeah. going to be more of the same. It's just going to be they'll be quieter about it or you wait for the rest of them are going to rattle their sabers like they like to do, hand out some sort of ridiculously arbitrary punishment and the rest of the world will clap and cheer. And then in the background, you have this new format for this for the Champions League, which looked surprisingly like what the ESL was trying to roll out, minus the minus the fact that you had, it was a clo- it was closed off to, the, to, to everybody else except those invited or those that, that found it. I'm like, it's, it's, how can we be this, this myopic? Is it, is it just because we want to be able to focus on one thing and one thing only that makes it easier for us to digest that you have to have a villain that's, that's clear and present, not the one that's been sending over your shoulder for the, for the entirety of, of almost well, the last 30 years of football. That's like, come on, man, do me a favor. Like, Play it, play, play it like you see it. Play what's in front of you. You still have UEFA. You still have FIFA. Are they going to make any concessions? The biggest question for me is, do they have to now? They are from the... Everything that these ESL clubs that, that was... Everyone was talking about leverage, right? How much... What, what this did... How they could start peeling power away from UEFA. What has this done? Like you said, UEFA and the oil shakes now look like they should be, they be, they should be building statues to these guys. And they're still the biggest monsters in the room. And now you've taken away the other golem and you've now you're left with these guys and now you're like, oh, okay, I guess we just have to choke down whatever they put, whatever they put to us. Yeah. Yeah. So I, guess I, I guess I did have something to say. Oh, you, you, well, you were definitely honing in on hypocrisy. There's a few other targets for that that I'll mention, but uh, it was interesting. Gundawan tweeted today. I saw um, about like, like there's no one looking at the, uh, the champions league format and there's no one considered the players. Yeah. Because that was right when it broke. That was right when it broke. He said that. Yeah, yeah. Which is oh, so. I only saw it today. But but I mean that, that actually speaks to all of these people who are saying, "Well, they never talked to the players. They never talked to the fans." Well, UEFA didn't do either of those things. Um, so I don't know which direction you want to go in, Enrique. But uh, yeah, so lots of hypocrisy around. Um, you could mention Pep and his will, his his love for competition, um, which I thought was one of the. It's like <laughs> what. Uh, yeah, where to begin? I mean, I, I could probably fill up 52 minutes ranting about this. I've certainly done it in the last week, just to anyone that would listen. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'll get back. I'll get back on the hypocrisy. Um, one thing I do want to say, which I, and I'm a bit of a pessimist on this, is how different do you think this would have played out had they 
created a league that wasn't closed, right? Same idea presented. This is going to compete with UEFA's Champions League, but we have a more traditional open system, or at least the appearance of it being an open uh, league where teams are able to come in. And I don't think there would have been as much pushback. I'm not sure we would have found four days later the league in shambles. Um, I think the, their biggest mistake was miscalculating how much uh, respect people have for tr the tradition of a classic league structure where you can be relegated out of it, you can get promoted into it. But certainly, as Dad said, the, uh, you know, the, the new Champions League format is much closer to the Super League than anybody, anybody wants to admit. And at the end of the day, I think this was just handled terribly. I, I'm sure we're going to get on to, uh, you know, how they handled the PR with it for this was just astoundingly bad. I think if there's anything that we've really learned, is that all these people with money and in charge making these decisions are not our best people, right? Because it's just a PR disaster from beginning to end. But um, on the hypocrisy, yeah. I mean, it, this this whole situation is just overflowing with hypocrisy and, it's, and nobody nobody's a good guy here. The FA is not the good guy. UEFA is not a good guy. Certainly the uh, owners that wanted to create a franchise league, they're not coming out on that well. But one thing I do worry about so as fans though we do have to admit that there's some hypocrisy coming from us as well um and i and i say that in the sense that we put so much value in a club going out and spending millions and millions and millions to make ourselves better um let's just be frank about it all fans are insatiable you know I, and i and i think liverpool fans in the last two windows have shown that you know we how many signings have we demanded and how like let's just go back to the summer where we had a large portion of uh, fans that they were angry with FSG and hashtag FSG out because we didn't buy Timo Werner. And instead we went for Diego Jota for 15 million less, uh, where I honestly believe had Jota cost us 80 million. I think some of those fans aren't as angry because, oh, well, he costs more. Um, there's a higher price tag on him, so he must be worth more. Where at, at this point in the season, I'm happy to have Jota over Timo Werner. Mm. And I think we, uh, we put too much... Uh, you know, we fantasize about these large sums being spent. And if we're going to demand the owners continue to spend huge amounts of money, then we're going to have to accept that even though we don't like to think of these uh, clubs as businesses, these owners are going to run them as a business. And they're seeing a segment of the fans are demanding that hundreds of millions are spent. They're going to make decisions that put more hundreds of millions in their pockets so that they can placate the uh, appetite of the fans. So now, that being said, I'm not going to stop demanding for signings myself, right? But let's just be aware that these we're all we all play a part in um, how much money is in the sport, and the, you know the money is just going to corrupt it at every single level from uh, top to bottom. Uh, yeah, where do I, I mean? Where do I go from that? We could go on the <laughs> hypocrisy of the uh, the FA, who, like you said, you know they did the same. They broke away when they formed the Premier League. You know they made the crucial decision of not having a closed league though. So they get away with it. They're able to make these changes so slowly over time. Um, but they, you know, I don't think they look any better coming out of this. And why, why all these owners decided to give all the power back to UEFA and the negotiating table, because, you know, UEFA now gets to look like the good guys and they get to do whatever changes they want. And I, I think all the owners would have had a much stronger hand in the negotiation had they not gone forward with this stupid idea or at least have sold it better. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there's a way that you could sell this lead much, much better over time, drip feed, you know, news articles that the public can read, give them a logical argument, not putting 
you know, not the uh, other side, which was putting Perez on his friend's talk show and letting him rant until 1 a.m. The whole thing was a mess I mean, from beginning to end. I'm glad it's over, but I, I don't think it's actually over, if that makes sense. I, I mean, so, so I don't think anyone um, that I know thinks this is a really well thought through and executed idea. I think the, the thing that I, I feel like we're reacting to is the backlash and who the people are who were leading the charge on that. Um, who do seem to have their own agenda. But I do want to go to like the Perez conversation. I picked out one quote, which I, I absolutely loved. Uh, Maybe we could have done better communication, said Florentino Perez. It's like, no kidding, really? Because <laughs> I, 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 like, they seem to have rushed the announcement to be ahead of the Champions League announcement. And, and looking at this, wouldn't they have been better off waiting for the Champions League announcement, the backlash to that and go like, hey, we've got a better idea. Like, how about we, we think about doing something like this? Wouldn't, I, I don't know, I don't know, just felt like. Anyway, Florentino, if you're listening, if you're looking for a communications help, happy to uh, point you in a, in a better direction. <sighs> ESLulation, isn't really what it was, right? Premature ESLulation. Yeah. <laughs> They did. It was like it was incredible how they quickly they went to market. It was it was it was half baked, and people got as granular to look at the way that the like the the, the art design that they had. I'm like like yeah. like who's in charge of this? Like the coral paint crew? Like come on, man! Like you can. It was just so clearly rushed out, and, and yeah. you know, like Paul said, it's like it, 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 this would have come across way better if it was a response to what you the changes that UEFA was making. Let UEFA become the bad guy first. You know, basically flip the script. Let UEFA come the bad guy first, then say, here's an alternative idea, right? And then you can present the ESL, and uh, I think it would have been, it would have gone across a lot better. Yeah. Well, what sucks the most about this is, like, the less bad guy is now looked as, 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 as seen as, as, as the savior, which... Yeah. Yes, yeah. You, you guys forget that UEFA's been shit for years. They've been absolutely abysmal. And what I, what I hate about them the most is they always seem to pick on the smaller federations, or they just ram through what they want to. And essentially what they say is, what are you guys going to do? And then the ESL is like, this is what we're going to do. And if they had done it better and they had it's potentially done like a Europa kind of champions league and jam them together, like you were saying, Enrique, and essentially making it a two tier system, which wasn't necessarily closed. It was still was, but at least you had the appearance of, of, of the capacity for movement between two leagues. And then two years down the road said, this is going to become four leagues. And eventually turn it into into a tiered system, but across the entirety of Europe, it probably would have gotten more traction. But this was just they they just blurted it out and and they put it into the court of public opinion, which they didn't do before they started. And they, which is the right. like, what do you think people are going to say here? You you've taken a giant steamy dump on the tradition, one of the traditions that make football. The, one of the most popular sports is because you like the, the the little people see you succeeding and they see you failing. They don't see you in this elitist this elitist mob of people who all of a sudden you guys have a, a, everything that we've worked against as a working class group of people like this. We want to be able to see people fail. We want to be able to see people succeed. Yeah. But again, like you said, Enrique, what sucks about this is the Fed. I think uh, Rory was it Rory Smith that talked about this. I think with uh, with Neil and uh, Anfield Rap. And he's talking yes. about how we fetishize money. It's like, it's not our money. It's somebody else's money. Just spend the money. Where do you mm -hmm. think this is coming from? Yeah. Are you farting this out? Like, it just, like it's got to come from somewhere. And then 
year on year we've watched these these sums go up and go up and and then what what do we say it's just the cost of doing business it doesn't need to be the cost of doing business and Paul, I think you can segue into saying something. What are you going to do to make this better? Because you have to have, you have to present something to people that, that, that say, okay, these are the substantive changes we're going to make. Agents, you guys can't start charging like the extortionate rates that you want. Uh, rates that you want. Um, if you want, you want government regulation, come in and regulate how much you guys can actually spend in a single season and stand by it. Don't have the, don't have the inmates in charge of the prison when it comes to when it comes to deciding who's the wrongdoers are you can't you can't let you can't let the same people that are making the rules be the, the judge the judge and jury in it when you're allowing the people that are in the in hawk to make the decisions it's like you have to make some sort of substantive changes that, that affect the game at a real level start bringing prices down where, where smaller teams can start competing for for, for 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 talent that's where the real parity is going to start coming i think in all this too the one thing there was one good idea lost well maybe more than one but any good ideas that were in the uh, European Super League kind of got lost in all this. And one of the things I saw was that, um, and don't call me down there, but I think it was, they had a rule where so clubs could only spend 55% of earned income on player wages and transfers. And if, as long as they stuck to that, that is significantly better than the current joke that's financial fair play that UEFA you know, doesn't back up at all. So that is actually a good idea that would have balanced out competition um, at least at the upper tiers across all of Europe and been a check to the Russian oligarchs and nation states that uh, con- own and control teams. But, you know, that that gets lost in the whole fiasco of uh, what, a, what a poor sale the league was to the public. So, so I do I do want to go to like, so now that we've saved football, what do we do ne- next? Because um, that was clearly what some people believe they've saved football. Um, but do want to give Sean a chance to weigh in on hypocrisy. Um, I, I do think there are, I don't know if it's hypocrisy, but I do think there are other people who use this as an opportunity to further their agenda. So there's been consistently like a, a like Arsenal and Manchester United, let's get rid of our owners. And um, I, you know, I think we certainly have some fans who are on that bandwagon. Um, it, it, uh, you, you can talk about that or whoever your favorite topic is, but the, there seems to have been a lot of people jumping on this as a way to kind of vindicate a position they already had, frankly. So. Yeah, I mean, we go on. I, I, I don't disagree with anything. So I, I do want to, if anybody has not watched the John Barnes rant on, on Talk Sport, Talk Trite, um, go watch it because I thought that was the best take of the week. I mean, he, he makes the point that, like, look, we already know what UEFA and the TV broadcasters are going to do. They're going to continue to screw the fans and the players. And they're going to continue to squeeze money out of these big clubs. And that's the whole reason why they went and did this. The, the oil state-owned clubs and these and you know, Chelsea and something, there's just a few clubs that are pushing prices out of control. And the Real Madrids of the world are saying, like, look, we're, we're, this is unacceptable. We can't do this. Um, so then they tried to form this league. I, I want to go to the whole FSG conversation. Um, they, they've made a ton of mistakes, you know, and they look bad, you know, all this, right? But at the same time, if you're FSG and all these clubs are breaking away into the Super League, are you going to be the only one that's going to say no? And I'm not saying that they weren't earlier on in the conversation. You know, I don't know who joined when. But that would be like malpractice if you own the club to not be in with all these other clubs. And we weren't in it. That's it. We're left behind. We're not winning anything. 
So you got people who, who disagree with it on this context of like, oh, well, that's not what our club's about. And at the same time, there's this garbage story that came out that I don't even believe that they turned down a $3 billion offer for the club. And they're angry about that. They want them to sell. So you say, oh, well, who are they going to sell to? Are they going to sell to the Saudis? Well, I don't care as long as they invest in the club. That's, that's to your point, Eric. That's the fans being incredibly hypocritical. Like, you know, I would love it if we had fan ownership of the club. But it's not – I don't think it's realistic. I don't I – don't, I mean, how would that work? You know, how would we buy players, deal with agents? It's just, you know, maybe we go to a German model. To me, that's the ideal. But that being put aside, if you compare our owners to a lot of these clowns, I'll take them every day. I mean, they're not perfect, and there's a lot I don't like about them. But, um, you know, compared to Stan Kroenke or Abramovich or Martino Perez, I mean, look at these idiots. Like, I mean, I, I, and, and for some reason – all the attacks seem to be, or a lot of the attacks seem to be focused on our owners. And I'm, I'm with you, Des. Like, what the hell? Look at all these other guys. Yeah. You know, it, would you rather, you know, be owned by the Qataris? One. Like, it, it's like to me, that's the part that I just don't get. Like, there's this all this anger and fan outrage directed at them, and I'm like, well, what's the alternative? To your point, Paul. Like, what, what do you want to have happen? You know, it's, it's, and, and, and. How would how were they supposed to be the only ones standing out, you know, dying on the hill by themselves? It's it just it's not realistic, um, you know. The, the whole proposal was stupid and it was handled wrong and, and all that. But um, you know, I I just I don't get the fan outrage and and we have a story that just came out today that the uh, UEFA president Alexander Seferin has said all twelve clubs will be punished. So that's going to be UEFA's response to this. They're gonna they're gonna try to punish the twelve clubs that basically generate them all their money. Yep. So I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But dangerous. That's very yeah. dangerous. Yep. So because you, you punish those twelve clubs. Sorry, Paul, to cut in. You you punish those twelve clubs depending on how strict and stringent that is. You're giving them more ammo to keep to to like. Well, if you're gonna do this to us and you're gonna cut us out of well, I'm not sure that Arsenal's gonna get into the Champions League, but. Like if you cut those 12 teams out, they are still incredibly powerful clubs. Yeah. So, so it's interesting, right? So, so there's been a lot of conversation that's been thrown at them about like their elitist approach. You know, we, I think we've covered greedy more than enough. You know, Premier League, wasn't that all about getting more money? Anyway, uh, but, but, but elitism is an interesting concept. I, I, I read somewhere that uh, of the 12 clubs they named, they had won 50 of the 66 European Cup slash Champions League ever contested. Hmm. Doesn't sound like there's a lot of democracy going on there. Um, the other thing I would say is if it hadn't been for kind of Liverpool's magnificent performances last two years, City would have won the league four times in a row. The German model seems to end up with Bayern Munich winning every, every time. Yeah. There's, 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 there's a lot wrong with this stuff. Um, one thing I do want to say, too, is Simon Hughes has a great article in The Athletic being critical of FSG, but in a reasoned way about their capitalist approach. Yeah. And that's, I think, the, the one reasoned argument you can make is that they are capitalists, you know. Yeah. But, uh, it's, you know, take, give, give it a read if you have access to The, the Athletic. So no one, no, no one who isn't, you know, St. Pauli has a wonderful model, right? But, but they're never winning anything. Right. Yeah, yeah. You if, if you want to be, uh, you know, end up, you know, potentially 
uh, support around potentially playing in the championship because you can't compete with the oligarchs and the rest. Is that what is that what you want? And if it is, that's you know, okay, that's a decision. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm kind of going off in my own direction here. Uh, so, um, Daz, solutions. What uh, you know? What what is there a way out of this? Because I, I think if as long as Seferin is in charge, then um, I don't see much changing in UEFA and uh, the Premier League's bottom 14 seem fine enough with the model where they can play defensive football against the best teams and hang on in there with their place and rake in the TV money. Just saying. Well, you hit your nail, hit the nail on the head there, don't you? It's like, I, I just think that you want to be able to create that tea, that, that, that storm in the teacup because it does take the heat off of the underlying issues that are going to, that have plagued the game. And again, it's, it's a very lazy argument to make or lazy statement to make that money has ruined it, but it has. And I think that you'd probably have to rein in spending. Like I've spent most of my adult life avoiding finance um, as, as much as I possibly can. And like now I feel like I'm thrust into something where I'm asking to come up with a, what, a to, to, to try and magic some sort of bullet that's gonna that's gonna cure the wo- the, the woes of professional football but i know a lot of t- people have it's unregulated by and large um i think the team that shows up with the biggest bag of money generally is, gets to do whatever the hell they want and i think that manchester city's proven that uh, at one stage i think they said sure you can kind of try and hit us for ffp but we're just going to outspend you and we'll continue to outspend you defending ourselves and you saw the result of that you kind of had a sham, a sham situation where they, they, they walked away on a technicality when they were caught dead to rights. So I think that uh, I mentioned this, you're going to have to find a better way of such a terrible way of saying, but punishing wrongdoers because that, that wasn't even a line step. They, they do it habitually because they can, and they know they can get away with it. So you're going to have to create a culture where people are punished accordingly, not because they don't have enough money to defend themselves, but because that that's the letter of the law. You guys got caught doing something wrong. Um, and again, back to the regulation point, you're going to have to start putting ceilings on what people can spend. I think one, and one of the, we mentioned this, one of the big reasons for the league was it's something, something like 80% of profits go towards players uh, fees and, and, um, and, and agents. You're going to have to put, I find agents to be very parasitic and it's like you always hear about these super agents that go in and just start waving their penis around and people snap to for them. And that's got to stop. It's because you're allowing them to siphon off. And that, and I think I want to say that John Henry and, and FSG have come out and said something to that point. It's like, it's this parasitic model of, of, of allowing agents to come in and basically suck the lifeblood out of the sport by it's, I believe it is artificially inflating the market. Like you can't say that, there's probably four or five players that you can worldwide that you can say justify those amount of mo- that amount of money mm-hmm. in any given any given four or five year five year uh, period. I, I just if you want parity and you want some sort of equi- uh, uh, equality, then you're going to have to start doing it at, at a regular and regulate that at, at a higher money level. And again, like that seems to make sense to my non-financial brain that like that's if you're looking for a more of a the socialist model, which is essentially what your fans are looking for, right? They, they want something where there's, there's competition and there's, and there's no one stipulates what type of competition you want. It's still a competition when you have Sheffield like living on 12 points at the bottom, that's still competition, but is it really? Cause they're going to yo-yo back down and then 
and I think I don't know what the statistics are, Sean. You probably know better than I do, but there's got to be a high percentage of teams that come up that go straight back down. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know what the percentage is, but I mean Sheffield, like they're a good example because they can't. They still have a lot of the players that they had in the championship. Well, Norwich, and they, they're not going and they're not going to lose many because they were so bad this year. So they might come right back up. But yeah, there, there is almost a hybrid league. Um, floating in between the bottom of the Premier League and the upper end of the championship where you have your teams like Swansea, Norwich, West Brom that just continuously go up and down because the parachute payments allowed them to do that. So they're going to immediately go down to the championship and be one of the strongest teams financially. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't really cut it more than two seasons in a row up in the Premier League. Ultimately, I think what needs to happen is fans, if we are going to be this defining force, need to determine what they really want because it feels like it's it shifts and it morphs according to like this tribalism or this jingoism and, and within your own team it's like you, you you want one thing one way but you don't want it another like it has to there has to be apples and apples and pears and pears you can't i think that the fans really need to decide what they want do you want equality or do you want to keep it kind of the way that it is like do you feel that the level of competition that you're seeing right it's quote unquote again competition that you're seeing is is the right way of doing it. Like, it just feels, it feels like you, you kind of take blunderbuss shots at stuff without really figuring out what you really want, want it to look like. Yeah. I, I think one of the, one of the things that the, this, all these protests have invoked is like a nostalgia about a time when everyone really could win the league, when the reality is, I don't, I don't know, apart from Leicester, has anyone outside the teams that were in the European Super League won the Premier League since uh, since it's been formed, uh, maybe Blackburn back Blackburn. in the day. Yeah, but yeah. but that's it. Uh, like, really, they had millions going into them the year they won. Yes, they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So they were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Leicester is one of the one of the biggest anomalies in modern sports. If if you look at like, it was just a fluke that they won it that year because but, a lot of all the big clubs seem to be down. But they're not poorly funded. You know, so, I was going to say right. Yeah. 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 They're a combination of they're well-funded, but also they are well-run. Um, they, 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 they invest a lot of money into making sure they pick up great scouts and mm -hmm. a good scouting network and uh, great trainers. I mean, honestly, it, it's probably the biggest crime of the ESL is that Leicester didn't get invited over Arsenal or Spurs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's because of the value of the club. It was, they, they, it was all based on the value of the club. Yeah. 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 A worldwide, worldwide fan base, I think, is really what it was because you want eyes on screens, right? Yeah. And, it's, yeah. and I said to a friend of mine, over the last, the course of the last 30 years, you've seen essentially what's football colonialism, where the large teams have gone out and start carving up fan bases amongst themselves. And they do it. They've done it a couple of times on Fox Sports. They show you like where the most watched teams in America are. The EPL teams are in America and it's in the regions where they where they watch it. It's And I think because of accessibility to watching matches on television, it's become, it's glo obviously globalized, which is, again, it's a very lazy conversation to have. But I think that over the, over the course of the last 30 years, the bigger clubs have done a really good job in carving up market share. And those are the teams that were brought in. Leicester right now is probably still has a fairly small international fan base. Real huge, us huge, Arsenal huge, Chelsea huge. And that's, they've spent years cultivating that or, or carving it up amongst themselves. And that's, that's what it's based on. It's eyes on screens. And, and, to, and to be fair with the globalization of uh, not just this sport, but all sports, it, 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 we see this with every other sport, right? So you, you go outside of America and it's, it's popular NFL teams that get followers in other countries. Same goes for the NBA. 
I'm not sure how much the NHL is actually watched outside of America, but, but you know, you, you're not going to go to many other countries and see somebody wearing a Charlotte's Hornets uh, shirt because they're 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 not going to like you said put eyes on screen. So you know they're gonna they're going to be wearing Lakers or you know Celtics and then with the NFL. I mean the amount of Patriots uh, fans I meet in England when I go out there <laughs> family, you know it's just. It's annoying, but you understand why, because they've had that sustained period of success. And when you're not born into a team, uh, you can understand people would like to see, if they're going to be picking a team, they'd like to see a team that wins, right? Yeah. So I'm sure we've gone over 52 minutes this week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one last, one, one thing that if you could, realistically, because we don't have magic wands, that you'd want to see different going forward, what would it be? Jordan Pickford with longer arms. <laughs> that, that would certainly help Everton. I'm not sure I'm in favor of that. But like, like one of the Mr. Man arms, like Mr. Tickle, like make it really ridiculous. If I'm going to use my wish. I'm going to use it like absolutely ridiculously. Be like Mr. Tickle. You wrap around the goalpost like four times. Like I got, I got a couple ideas, I guess, um, as far as the European competition on what, what could change. And I, I opposed to the way things are looking now with the new Swiss model, certainly opposed to a closed league. I don't necessarily oppose to getting more teams involved. I think you could have more qualification rounds and then invite the fifth and sixth place teams from the big leagues. Um, but, you know, you term using the UEFA coefficients. Uh, I don't know if this would actually solve the problem, but it was brought up how many of the leagues across Europe are not uh, don't have healthy competition, right? In France, you have PSG winning every year. Yeah. Up until this year in Italy, it was Juventus every year. But I mean, so whether or not this would actually solve the problem, but you could maybe in into the UEFA coefficients to determine how many spots go to a league, you could drop a value if your league is continuously being won by one team, right? So Bayern Munich are so competitive in Europe because they just suck all the talent dry out of the Bundesliga. They never question that they're going to get into Champions League. So... And they, you know, almost always win their league. So do, should Germany get four spots, right? Or, sh or should you say, look, until, until this league looks more balanced, maybe we reduce the number of spots or we, you know, make a Bayern Munich go through an extra round. I don't know exactly what you could do uh, to maintain the sporting integrity, but to also add a little competition into the league. Uh, I, th I think at the end of the day, that most fans you ask would just want to see more competition whether it's in their own domestic leagues or in Europe, uh, you, you don't like it. You don't like to see the same team win over and over and over again, unless, unless it's Liverpool, of course. But <laughs> Yeah, that's always the exception. I think they should, <laughs> yeah, anyone who's won the Champions League six times should always be in the Champions League. We're, we're all in favor of that, right? That's just to be clear. I, uh, I would say some form of a salary cap would be the best, would be the best reform that they could come up with so that, they cap, they somehow cap um, the wage bills of these big clubs, um, it, it, particularly the oil state owned clubs, because they can pay whatever they want without, without any, without FFP having any teeth. Now it can get out. It's going to get out of control really quick if they don't do something because those, those clubs have unlimited amounts to spend. They're, they're spending their, their citizens money. They're, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's the Qatari government's money or the UAE's money that they're spending. So how is John Henry and FSB supposed to ever compete with that? Yeah. Especially Take a few if they're, if they're, 
take over the whole United States. <laughs> it, is, it, it, is, it is interesting, actually, that uh, I think Cronkies have come out and said this, but certainly the, that FSG have said this before. Like One of the reasons we were interested in ownings because there were financial controls that we thought we could manage within. Well, they sold the owners on that. I mean, that was part of the, that was that was part of the deal. Like they yeah. they encouraged owners to buy clubs based on the fact that they were going to enforce these rules, and then they haven't done it. Yeah. So. That, that's, that's the biggest question. They haven't enforced the rules they put. So it's like, what do you what do you think is going to happen if you don't enforce the rules? People are going to continue to break them because they know, oh well, there's no punishment coming out of this. You know, that's it's my it's my shot for more regular. Like, like I, I'm not a big fan of 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 government massive government oversight, but you could have some more sensible regulation. And by a, a body that's that, that has zero contact with any of the people, that's ridiculous to say, but has very little contact with the, the power brokers inside UEFA, inside FIFA. Like, it just seems that there, there's all this handshaking that goes across and, and above and below the table that, we, that we're not party to. That, and then five months down the road, you find out that such and such has got this guy as is, is part of his, came to his bar mitzvah or whatever the heck it is. It always seems that there's some sort of some sort of tie somewhere and it needs to be broken up. Like, So one, one of the other hypocrisy shots, I know we want to wrap up, Paul, um, one of the uh, owners of PSG, the Qataris was, was named um, I think president of, uh, was it the European club association or something yeah. last week? So it's like, come on. I mean, you know, it, it's just, it's obvious what's going on here. You know, it's, um, these these rich these rich clubs are are just sort of growing everything up and disrupting everything and we're just going to see more and more of it we'll have we'll have a chinese state backed owners you know more and more we'll have saudis coming in eventually like that's where it's going unless they make some serious reform so hopefully they do but I'm sure UEFA, we can trust. No, never mind. Um, yes. <laughs> there are a lot of kind of people out there I'm putting a lot of trust in uh, at the end of this, right? There's uh, like last week's episode, we ended with Boris Johnson as someone who was jumping on the bandwagon. It's like, great. We're depending on UEFA. Yeah. Boris Johnson. Okay. I love wasn't those ideas. Wasn't there something in the Times about how uh, Woodward showed up and his, like, there was a conversation between him and Boris Johnson? Oh, I don't know this. I don't yes. know, but 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 so Woodward was planning to leave this summer anyway. That's the other part of that story. That was that was a that was a joke anyway. He was he was leaving anyway. Yeah. So he what, just the ESL. <laughs> uh, he probably would have gotten some job in the ESL somewhere. Think, yeah, maybe. Oh. Well, if he hadn't fallen out with the Glazers. Yeah. Okay. On that note, this is not a Manchester United podcast. Let's leave them alone. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Arsenal. On Sunday. Okay. All right. Daz. Enrique, Sean, uh, as usual, it's been a pleasure. Um, we we actually play the aforementioned team next weekend at uh, Old Trafford. Uh, I wonder what colour the seats are going to be. On that note, let's leave it there. <laughs>